Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K, where together we can reimagine GI care. Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K. I'm Dr. Kaczynski, and we're going to open the show as we always do by reminding everyone that the goal of this series is to present you a broad scope of value-based care issues, mainly involving the field of gastroenterology, but sometimes outside of GI as well. In each episode, we strive to bring you cutting edge information through a focused interview with an influential and interesting key opinion leader. Today, we are very fortunate to have as our guest, Christina Ritter, Director of the Patient Care Models Group at CMMI. And CMMI is the CMS Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. She is the former Deputy Director of the Hospital and Ambulatory Policy Group in the Center for Medicare and has spent her career at CMS working on health payment policy. I've known Chris for some time and have always had high respect for her work and her energy. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. This is super exciting. Well, we have so much to discuss today. My goal is to first demonstrate the work that CMS has been doing in the patient care models group and then discuss plans for the future. So let's begin. Chris, you are the director of the patient care models group at CMMI. And for those of you who are not familiar with CMMI, it's an entity in CMS that was created by the Affordable Care Act to test innovative payment and delivery system models that show promise for improving quality of care while showing some slowing in the rate of growth and program costs. Chris, you're the director of the Patient Care Models Group. Tell us about the PCMG. What are your goals? What do you do with this group? Sure. So the whole Innovation Center is, as you said, dedicated to finding value payment, um, so reducing cost, improving quality, and looking to transform healthcare. That's the whole center. Um, But the Patient Care Models Group specifically is dedicated to doing that in the specialty space. So um, our goals are really to bring forward value payment into the specialty space. And I wanna be clear, we try very hard not just to make it a payment approach. We are really working to figure out how to transform how people think about payment and care in the specialty space. Well, how does it work? What, what happens? What are the, what's the blocking and tackling here? How do these proposals get, get developed and implemented? Sure. So, um, Well, they can come from just about anywhere. Um, I would say uh, when the Affordable Care Act was signed, there's actually a list of potential proposals, if you don't know that, that's listed right there into the Affordable Care Act as potential items for us to look at. Um, And many of the models we have underway are sort of outgrowths of some of those basic themes. I think the one that people probably know the most is the Bundled Payment for Care Initiative. Um, There was an original model, and then um, in 2018, the advanced model came underway, so that was the second iteration of that model. Um, It would have been something that was kind of a direct outgrowth of the Affordable Care Act, but something to this point has also had a ton of stakeholder input. Um, The Innovation Center is required by statute to do a lot of stakeholder outreach, and we do. People come all the time to bring us their ideas. They write letters. They 
they send us memos, they come and meet with us in person. And, um, you know, one little secret about the government is it is a public entity. So we, we take all of those meetings and read all those memos and all those ideas. Um, a lot of people who come to work for the government um, under various administrations, they too have their own ideas about what they think should or shouldn't be happening in the value space. And of course, a really big um, idea creator for us, of course, is the PTAC, the Physician Focused Technical Advisory Committee, which was designed under the Affordable Care Act to um, be a recipient of stakeholder ideas for value models. and. Um, we are always closely following the discussions that are being um, had at PTAC and the kind of the results of those. So I think, you know, anywhere and everywhere, <laughs> those ideas can come to us. A lot of times, though, you know, they build on themes. So, you know, people understand that as an episode structure or paying for care that's not fragmented is a goal. And then you kind of take that concept of an episode and we pick it up and we put it down sort of in different places. So we have several different episode models that have those same underlying structure, but it's addressing different kinds of specialties. Um, so I would say that's generally how we work, but we're not just episodes. We do other things as well. We're home health reform and other pieces. Well, you've laid out a nice little outline for the rest of this podcast for me and the way you've answered that question. Let's, let's focus first on BPCI. Okay. Um, now, what are you most proud of that this, this program has accomplished? I'm most proud of the scope of the model and how many lives it has touched. And that's not just patients. I have to say, while we are always trying to put the patient first, a lot of times my thinking is about what is the physician experiencing? What is the institution experiencing? How are they thinking about the care that they bring every day? And I think the bundles models have really been tremendous in helping people think differently about the care that they're giving. And the whole point behind the value models is um, I think um, several of our directors have said, we're trying to get everyone to row in the same direction. With the fee-for-service system, a lot of times everyone's not rowing in the same direction, right? So how do you change the financial incentives? So like it's for team care and it's for the hospital and the physician to go in the same direction and everybody feels an incentive to get to the right outcome for the patient and the patient understands what's going on and can get to the right outcome. And so what I like about the bundles model is it's big in scope. It was a behemoth when it went underway. Um, we're at 38 different um, clinical episodes in the model. And um, it has touched a lot of different institutions, physicians, and patients. And I'm we, most proud of that. Well, you should be. Um, we've worked very, very hard over the last few years in conjunction with the American Gastrological Association to have an inflammatory bowel disease episode yeah. of some type. Yeah. And we were very, very happy in 2019 when uh, uh, BPCI Advanced rolled out an inflammatory bowel disease episode. We put together 1,200 gastroenterologists around the country who had interest in participating in this. But unfortunately, and this happens so often today when we're trying to retrofit value-based programs into fee-for-service-based structures, we, we were unable to have an adequate amount of retrospective claims data 
to judge our uh, financial risk. And yeah. it stems from the fact that the hospital, these things start with hospital um, admissions, and the hospital seldom if ever lists the gastroenterologist as either the attending physician or the operating physician. And so we had limited data to work with. Do you see hope in the future for us having a different type of structure where we will be able to have better retrospective data? Or do we have to get these hospitals to change the way they're listing the physicians? Well, so I think the issue of how the physician is listed um, is one that we continue to hear about. Right now, we sort of follow that which is listed in the Medicare manual for billing because this particular model, the bundles model, is sort of still sitting on top of that fee-for-service chassis, right? It requires all the claims to roll through, and then we add that episode assessment on the back end. Um, we try really hard to get good data out to people. Um, the structure has this process for getting claims data out, um, but it does require some manipulation. The Innovation Center, not in PCMG per se, but there's a, we have a new chief technology officer and they have been working on improving um, um, data interfaces um, so that there would be a better way for both participants and applicants to get um, data more quickly through a portal rather than us, rather than the current methods that we have of making them available. So I know it's underway. Whether or not um, we'd always be able to get everyone every data that they need, like probably not. I don't wanna say never, we would continue to work towards it, but people always want more data than we can give them. Um, but it is a, we are really committed to continuing to try and make as much transparency available in the data so that people can make informed choices when we're in the scope of a voluntary model. But um, an interesting point is where we go in the voluntary mandatory space. So I'll just leave that there. Okay, okay. Um, one of the things, we just wrote an article that's, that's uh, waiting for publication, it's been accepted, on our experience with BPCI. And one of the recommendations we're making to our gastroenterology colleagues is yeah. that instead of listing themselves as a consulting physician, they should mm -hmm. work very hard to be admitting physicians or operating physicians as mm -hmm. often as they can. So they need to work with their hospital systems so that we can we can be listed. And if we're listed, then we become the recipients of a much richer- of the, You stuff. own the episode, right. Exactly, right. exactly. Right. Yep, um, yep. And, the other transition in BPCI, and you and I have, have talked about this uh, in the past, is that it was initially designed around procedural type services that were that yes. started with a hospital admission. And I would probably have started it that way too. It just made sense. But in yeah. our situation, we're dealing mm -hmm. with chronic chronic diseases. Yes. And so we're looking for longer episodes. We're 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 looking for probably annual. Uh, mm -hmm. episodes of care, uh, mm -hmm. expanding our conditions. Do you see mm -hmm. any opportunities for that going forward? Yes, I do. So um, we have been working slowly um, on an upstream bundle. So let's talk a little bit about that. For the moment, right, the risk the entire management. See, Sonar was ahead of its time. That's what I have to say, Dr. Kaczynski. You're, you're just way ahead of everybody else. That's the challenge. It'll take us a decade to catch up, okay? <laughs> um, 
So, or longer <laughs> with BP. And a part of that is because anything we do, we have to do on a national scale. And when you do something on a national scale, you, you have to be so careful about making sure that you're considering it, there's just more to consider, right? Cause you have so many more stakeholders involved and it's harder for everyone to get there. I mean, the beauty of a sonar experience is that you had the ability to sort of do it not on a small scale, but you know, much more quickly, you guys could try it out right there for something to get to us. Like there's this just long process, you know, in the federalist system, it is what it is. <laughs> it takes a while to kind of filter up to us. So we started with all of our episodes sort of initiating at that hospitalization. Um, but we, I think we think it's limiting in a lot of ways. For one thing, to your point, you don't get a lot of these acute, um, you don't get a lot of the management that goes behind the acute episodes, right? And then a second piece is that really what's being managed is the payment from the time that someone hits the hospital into the post-acute phase, whatever that might be. And really so much of the management that you want um, physicians and um, people who are really managing care to be underway is to get it ahead of that, right? Um, in a way that makes sense to a specialist. So of course, that's not an un, un, um, untried idea in population health. There's a lot of attempt to keep people healthy, but we're sort of talking about it, this area where we know folks are going to be anticipating having an acute event, right? And how do we sort of get ahead of it before the decision mm -hmm. for the hospitalization or the need for that kind of comes into place? So we've been working on the idea of upstream bundles for a while now. And again, that's not necessarily a new concept. Again, by the time it gets to us, <laughs> it's dated. Yeah. But um, we've been working right now in, um, and it's truly just developmental in the uh, radiculopathy, um, low back pain and OA space. But the mm -hmm. idea there is to sort of create an annual bundle where risk, the physician would take risk and CMS would take risk. And we would say, okay, here's your patient, right? And you decide all the care, you, you figure it out and we will ultimately, um, and we'll pay you X amount and we might pay you um, differentially based on whether you take that patient to surgery, but it's not gonna be the same as if you just go to surgery, right? So maybe it's half the payment for surgery and we give you more for the care management so that you can work with that bucket of dollars and figure out how you wanna manage it. I would say right now we're in the stages with that where we're working through some of the numbers and trying to shore up some of the variability that we have, but it's something we've been talking to folks about mostly in the orthopedic space. I think our hope is that that type of a model would be available um, to take more broadly. Yep. Chris, one of the things we've been focused on um, in the gastroenterology space is to determine which illnesses are likely to benefit the best from a model such as that. Yes. And inflammatory bowel disease, we didn't know this when we, when we decided on IBD, but yeah. we chose the condition that was responsible for over 50% of the variable cost of the entire GI space. So yeah. it lent itself so smart. very well. Well, I'm not gonna claim uh, intelligence for that. It was, it, it was uh, <laughs> the one we chose and we just happened to choose correctly. If you have just tuned in, you are listening to The Scope with Dr. K. Our guest today is Chris Ritter, the Director of Patient Care Models at CMMI. Chris, let's, let's shift gears a little bit here and sure. 
spend a little time on one of your other successful initiatives, the oncology care model. Um, I realize this is something I think that's coming to an end, but it's been a significant success for for, um, your group. And so I, I was wondering if you would share a little bit of that with our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So the oncology care model is um, just a model that's near and dear to our heart. Um, One wonderful thing about the oncology care model, it was easier than it was in the bundle space to spend um, a lot of time with the stakeholders when we put it together because it was focused on a single area. Um, Bundles is so big because of so many episodes. It touches so many specialties. So one nice thing about the oncology care model is we got a chance to do a lot of the creating with the participants. Um, Now, at the end of the day, CMMI gets the final decision when we put a model together. But um, I think everyone who's participated in that model would say that they have a ton of interface with us. It's an episode model. It was designed to transform oncology care. And I would say, again, one of the biggest successes we would claim out of the model, putting aside, we've learned a lot about pricing and savings and other things, but that its goal of whole practice transformation is something that it has really achieved in so many ways. Um, Practices will anecdotally tell us, you know, they have just completely changed how they deliver care. And for all intents and purposes, it's a, um, it's a six month episode of chemotherapy that um, it initiates with the for a medical oncologist and a patient at the time that chemotherapy initiates. And then it, um, a, a payment, a upfront payment is made in the case of OCM. This is not true in the um, BPCI models and in other mm-hmm. mo- bundles models, but in the case of OCM, um, we make this upfront payment that's, um, then assessed on the back end. So, um, and uh, it's called a MEOS payment right now. Um, it's an enhanced oncology services payment. And um, each practice collects it for each beneficiary per beneficiary per month after the initiation of chemotherapy for six months. And then at the end of six months, we sort of assess all of the total cost of care. And then we determine whether or not a practice was able to earn a performance-based payment or not. When OCM started, it was in uh, just one-sided risk. But over the course of the model, the practices either have to earn performance-based payments or ultimately move into two-sided risk. And so um, it is in the process now of moving into two-sided risk. Um, The model's been extended one more year, so we have another year, I think we go through 2022 right now, because of um, a lot of the, recently the um, uh, agency put out some COVID flexibilities for all of the models. Um, This is a difficult time, obviously, for everybody to be practicing, and so there was an attempt to try and extend models or not make a ton of changes to models while we're sort of in the middle of of the pandemic in in many cases. So um, it was extended for one more year. Um, Overall, our initial um, evaluation results have shown gross savings uh, for the model, but not necessarily net savings so far. So with the MEOS payments, the practices haven't um, yet achieved overall savings. Um, so the claims data has savings, but that extra money we're sort of right, giving up front right. to the practice. We haven't shown net savings yet, but we do see a lot of good movement in the right direction. And, you know, it takes time for practices it to does. transform. It takes a lot of time. And six months might be too short. Um, maybe it's appropriate in the oncology space. But what I, the, one mm-hmm. of the reasons I wanted to talk about OCM yeah. was it shares some of the principles I adhere to 
-hmm. in developing a, a bundle um, for other chronic diseases. That upfront payment, mm -hmm. the, the, uh, we give practices a per member per month or a per member per quarter mm -hmm. because it requires investment in these practices to, to have a total practice conversion into mm -hmm. value-based care. Mm -hmm. We have to invest. And maybe you're just not measuring long enough to uh, measure to uh, to generate a return on that investment. Well, we have I, I don't time know. yet. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's the same philosophy we adhere to, mm -hmm. and then we also espouse the same principles you're working on, that where there would be a bi-directional risk model going mm -hmm. forward. And and so I really liked the oncology care model and. I probably feel more comfortable with OCM than BPCI as a model for um, advancing GI episodes of care. Um, yeah. but it, so that's going to continue for another year. That's great. That's great. Yes, um, I'm going to make one comment on the upfront payment, just so you know. Um, I think one of the things that has happened as the agency has been looking broadly, as the Innovation Center has looked across all of its models, I think one we have been looking very closely at how the upfront payment is playing out over the course of the savings. And I think, I think we certainly have sort of determined that we need that bi-directional two-sided risk. Like it, if we don't have that back-end risk in place, it's not enough just to accept the payment and see if you can get a performance. You really have to have that back-end risk or, and, and it's not that people, I, I don't think they're using money willy-nilly, but like there's <laughs> maybe, less incentive to move as quickly, or, or I don't know, I've never run an oncology practice or any of the, it, we have done this in several other areas. We only have one area so far that's shown savings and that was in an ACO, it was a rural ACO demo. Um, so I think that I think that one of the um, requirements around that um, potential upfront payment going forward would be to have that bi-directional risk on the back end because you know we can give it to, it's almost like, like a loan rather than exactly. like a gift, right? And that's sort exactly. of what we want it to be, yeah. It's an advance against your shared savings. Yes, Hopefully that's right. Hopefully you're gonna generate a shared savings, but if you don't, it becomes a downside payment. So yeah. It's, yeah. it's an investment in an outcome mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there's gotta be some teeth yeah. in the outcome. Yeah, gotta be some teeth, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The, the final place I wanted to talk today to spend time on is in the physician focused payment model. And you did bring that up, uh, which I thought was, was great. You set the stage for this. Um, for the listeners who aren't familiar with the PFPM, it, it was part of the macro legislation. I think it was really enhanced in 2016. Mm -hmm. And it's legislation that opens the door for specialty groups to participate in alternative payment models. To become an, an alternative payment model under the PFPM, there's an application process re reviewed by an entity, which Chris mentioned earlier, which is the uh, Physician Focused Payment Model Technical Advisory Committee. That's quite a mouthful. Mouthful, that's why we call it PTEC. Um, Project Sonar was actually the first approved physician focused payment model by PTEC back in a April of 2017. Yeah. Now, to date, none of the PTEC approved proposals have been implemented by CMS. Um, what well, do you see happening going forward? So, here's so, yeah, here's what I would say none of the models. 
like we just talked about, like to do a sonar model nationally, like requires more and unique pieces than a sonar might be just for you, Dr. K, right? And so what we end up doing, I have used many pieces of sonar. I am grateful for everything that you've done, right? We put IBD into um, BPCI. We have talked about um, thinking about how you guys think about variability in your costs as to looking at how we think about variability in our costs. So I feel like what we do with the PTAC work is not all, yeah, we're not like picking up a model and putting it down. What we're doing when we get those PTAC proposals, and, and I have to say this, the PTAC is so thorough. They ask great questions. When a model has made it through a PTAC review, like that is a serious pat on the back because it is a rigorous process. It's kind of like defending your dissertation. It is. <laughs> it's a committee, it it's a serious committee. Um, and so once that happens, we have all the benefit of that great research, right? And we read through those reports and we tell the PTAC this, and then we look for the pieces where we can put them in. So sonar is one example where we've used it. The renal physicians proposal that came through, elements of that appear in both our KCC and our ETC models, right, that, that have been released. The um, AAFP put forward their proposal, the family physicians, and some of that is, appears in our primary care first model. Uh, we're um, currently looking at ASEP's model. We spent a lot of time looking at that. You know, whenever someone comes to us and like, what are we doing in emergency departments? Well, we're like, let's look. We have an entire proposal that's been through the PTAC that's related to ASEP. So, you know, we try to show, um, we try to use all of that information to take those themes when we're looking at putting together national packages to figure out like how we can put them in. There's nothing really lost, right? It's all, once the PTAC sort of lets loose those reports into what I think of as like the policy stream, then those ideas become more mainstream, right? And they're more available. And so that's what I, we've never implemented in a model exactly as it came to us. And I have to tell you, I think it's highly unlikely we would ever implement a model mm -hmm. exactly as it came to us. To be honest, we never implement a model that my team would even dream up or someone would bring to us because it goes through clearance through the entire Department of Health and Human Services. And then it goes to the Office of Management and Budget. And there's lots of fingers in that pie. But when those themes come in, it's a great way to say, look at what the stakeholders are thinking. And that, you know, they don't only just think this, like they spend a lot of time putting this together, trying to get it on the ground and bring it to us. So we know it's developed. Can we take some of that, put it into what you're asking us to develop leadership, and can we go ahead and bring that forward? And that is really, and we use those PTAC reports all the time. Well, Chris, we're all thankful that there are people out there like you who are interested in going into these niches and coming up for, with solutions to problems. And, you know, as we put together all the niches over time, we'll have a global solution for everything going on, but it takes time. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you also to the audience for tuning in. You can learn more about the show on the program's page on healthcarenowradio.com and lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at hashtag HCNnowradio. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at SonarMB. We're bringing patients, providers, and payers together to reimagine GI care 
Until next time, I'm Dr. K. Stay well. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. K. Tune in with me next time to reimagine the scope of GI care. If we build it, they will join.